Good morning. Welcome to Brown Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. You may be wondering some things about Barah Ministries. Who is the God we worship? What is our source of truth? And who is our enemy? Well, since the Bible is God's word, the Lord's exact thinking, studying the word of God, helps Christians know the Lord intimately. Through his word, we learn about his nature and his attributes, and we come to understand his personal plan for each one of us. Reminding you of the importance of the knowledge of God, a knowledge of his word, and a knowledge of the enemy is always a pleasure for me, and I'm happy to repeat it as we open every lesson. I hope you are happy to hear it. Who is the God we worship? We worship a triune Godhead. There is one God who expresses himself to mankind as three separate, distinct, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the author of the triune Godhead's plan for all creatures. He is a loving Father who adores his children, and his children are those who have committed to believing in his Son, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 and verse 18 say this, And I, God the Father, will be a father to you believers in Christ, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. I missed one. For we believers in Christ are the temple of the living God, just as God the Father said. I will indwell believers in Christ, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God the Son, the Lord, volunteered to execute God the Father's plan. God the Son is a provider. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, As many as received the invitation from Jesus to be saved, to them he gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus' name. There is one and only one way to heaven. You invest your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to save you, and Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, when you believe in him, instantly gives you the resurrection life, eternal life, in his name. We worship God, the Holy Spirit. He is our mentor and teacher, a guide who is the rudder of the Christian's life. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 describe a few attributes of God, the Holy Spirit. 
Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. That shoot is the Lord Jesus Christ. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Isaiah 11:2. God the Holy Spirit will rest on the Lord. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, and the spirit of knowledge and the respect of the Lord. That's a pretty powerful God, the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. God, the Holy Spirit, has a wonderful, convicting ministry for unbelievers, and he has an even more powerful ministry to believers in Christ. It's called sanctification. He sets believers in Christ apart for a set of privileges that stagger the imagination. At Barah Ministries, what is our source of truth? As Christians, we develop a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the entire Godhead through the daily study of His Word. Once a week is not enough. And the Word of God is the Bible. What does Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 have to say about the Word of God? He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, then you'll have success. Obedience to God and His Word is the prescription for success in this life. What's the most neglected thing in a Christian's life? Knowledge of the enemy. If you know yourself and you know your enemy, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know neither, if you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory you gain, you'll sustain a defeat. If you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you'll succumb in every battle. And Christians, forget that God has an enemy. Who is that enemy? Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a finite period of time. And he is the enemy of believers in Christ as well. The Lord Jesus Christ had terse words for Pharisees who pretended to follow God, yet they were really following the direction of Satan. John chapter 8, verse 44 says this, You Pharisees are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his very nature. For he is a liar, and he is the one who keeps on fathering lies. Look at some of Satan's titles. The devil, the deceiver, the evil one, the accuser of believers, the serpent, the father of the sons of disobedience, the one who fathers lies. Satan loves introducing his thinking into the minds of people, and Christians are his primary target. He seeks to paralyze the spiritual life of Christians by filling them with false concepts. As Christians, our Father is God the Father. We are his children, so we don't listen to someone who is not our Father. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. All right, today's Bible lesson, what is the Lord communicating to Christians in Romans chapter 1? What is the Lord communicating to Christians in Romans chapter 1? The book of Romans is the most important book in the New Testament for Christians to study because it outlines the Christian way of life and the Christian way of living. 
And I guarantee you this, most Christians have spent zero time studying the book of Romans. But it's critical. So quite often, believers in Christ act like babies when they study the Word of God. They expect the pastor to provide the lesson, to tell them what to think about the lesson, to tell them how to apply the lesson to their lives, and they sit passively by without a notepad and a pen to actually study the Word of God. They listen to Bible study on the run as if it's the same as a business podcast. This is not learning. As our good friend June Murphy might advise, we have to know, reckon, and yield. Know, reckon, and yield. That's an old Baptist concept. What does it mean, though? We study the Word of God to know it. We reckon, that is, we think about what we learned, and then we apply what we learn to our own lives. You are unique. Your life is unique. Your problems are unique. And you have to be able to apply what God is teaching you in the Word to your own life. We have to participate in our learning. The Godhead installs God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to indwell us as church-age believers. We're indwelled by the entire Trinity, and the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit can be used to understand the Word of God as the Spirit leads us into all the truth. That's His function. In today's lesson, let's reflect on what God is teaching us in Romans chapter 1. And as we reflect, let's remember to do this for every spiritual lesson we learn and not just on special occasions. Well, let's hear some music. Because Christians live in Satan's kingdom, it always seems to us that unbelievers prosper. Christians suffer tribulation after tribulation while unbelievers seem to skate. Well, if we experience a thousand tribulations, each of which devastates us, we need to know that there will be one future event that makes it all worth it. Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 say this, God the Father highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, Philippians 2.10, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, Philippians 2.11, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, he is deity. Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is the man. Let's hear June Murphy tell us about the man in her song, Come See a Man. for love and all 
Say 
what an amazing name. Jesus. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for being loving and forgiving and righteous and just. Thank you for your patience towards your children as God the Holy Spirit advances us to spiritual maturity. Thank you for God the Holy Spirit's ministry to unbelievers, inviting them to the free gift of eternal life. Thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who made the ultimate sacrifice and paid the ultimate price voluntarily so that we could have a relationship with you. Give us insights into the messages you're sending us in Paul's letter to the Romans. Put in our hearts a burning desire to see everyone in our periphery saved by providing them with the gospel message and help us to keep the value of our so great salvation always at the top of mind, never taking it for granted. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what is the Lord communicating to Christians? In Romans chapter 1. What is the Lord communicating to Christians? In Romans chapter 1, well, we've completed the study of the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. What was the Lord communicating to Christians in the first chapter? If you personalize that question, you might say to yourself, what is the Lord teaching me through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1? You might also ask, how does the Lord want me to apply this learning to my life? It's important as you study the Word of God to know what God is telling you. And since His messages to you through Scripture are personal, no pastor, no person can tell you what you ought to learn. So let's use this lesson for reflection. Let's see if you can hear the voice of the Lord communicating to you through your thoughts as you reflect on the messages of the first chapter. Well, after a short greeting, the, 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 book of, uh, the first chapter of Romans is 32 verses. And after a short greeting, where Paul introduces his credential to the Roman believers, and after an affirmation of how proud he is of the work they're doing to spread the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the whole inhabited world, including Rome, which was one of the most disgustingly corrupt cities ever. It's about a thousand times worse than Las Vegas, if you can imagine that. Paul gives the main message of the letter in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and says this, I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel of God the Father, the good news concerning the salvation offer of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the gospel is the power of God the Father for salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first chronologically and then to the Greeks. And the Greeks are us. We're Gentiles, so we are the Greeks. The gospel message is good news for the sinner. And all of us are sinners from the moment of our physical birth. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ solved the sin problem so that those are sinners who request salvations can become saints. Make, let me make that clear. If you're a believer in Christ, you are not, no longer a sinner. You're a saint. 
You may sin, but you are a saint. The Lord's message to us believers as saints, as believers in Christ, is that we are never to be ashamed of sharing the gospel message with sinners regardless of their reaction to it. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. Amen? We are to never be ashamed to share the gospel message with sinners regardless of what their reaction to it is. Isn't that the way we are as human beings? We're always worried about using our voice because we're worried that people won't like us. People don't like you anyway. You just may as well know that. People don't like you. You think they like you. You want them to like you. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. They don't like you. So if they don't like you, why don't you just tell them the truth? Amen? Just tell them the truth. Because you telling them the truth plants seeds that will be watered by somebody else, and God the Holy Spirit will produce the growth. That's what happens. You got friends. I don't care how. We got some guests here today. You, it's so nice to look at your beautiful faces. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for coming to get a little dose of truth. Your dad is an amazing human being. I love him. And he and I are going to be lifelong friends, eternal friends. So even as, as kids, you know, you got friends who are not saved. You ever talk to them about the Lord, about your relationship with him, about what they ought to be thinking about him? Because it's never too early to get the message through to people about how they can be saved. So don't worry about their reaction to it. Their reaction is their business. Their physical birth is bad news. But the Lord's salvation message is good news. We were all born in the same condition as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. But Jesus Christ did something for us at the cross that could wipe that out. So in the final passage of Romans chapter 1, the Lord addresses the immorality going on in Rome. Immorality, orgies. Christians being killed in the Colosseum because... They believe in Christ. Christians being set on fire because they claim to be the light of the world. Pederasty. Adults having sex with children. It was awful. And Rome's not much different today. It's awful. So most unbelieving Roman citizens of the day were engaged in practices that could only be perpetrated by people who were unrestrained in their approach to living. They had no guardrails. And Paul communicates to the saints at Rome, the believers in Christ at Rome, who established churches in that cesspool, in that sewer. He communicated to the saints at Rome at least 21 sins that were prevalent in the culture. Practices the Lord would call unholy, ungodly and unrighteous. And by the way, those three terms can never be attributed to believers in Christ. We are not unholy, we are not ungodly, and we are not unrighteous. We are holy, godly, and righteous because God made us that way the moment we committed our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So ungodliness, unholiness, and unrighteousness are things that believers in Christ are no longer capable of because God has given us his righteousness at the moment of salvation, and that righteousness is your admission ticket to heaven. You don't get to heaven by being a good person. You get to heaven because of what Christ did for you at the moment of salvation. He placed you into union with himself through the baptism of the Spirit, and it's a union you cannot get out of ever, no matter what you do. You can't get out. You run from Jesus, he runs with you. You run the other way, he's with you. You can't get out. Amen? Can't get out. I give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. So we heard the main message. The main message, I didn't give you the second verse of the main message. Put up Romans 1.16, Denny. So I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel of God the Father. For the gospel is the power of God the Father for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first chronologically and also to the Greeks. Romans 1.17, for in the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, For in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God the Father is revealed. From faith in the Lord for salvation to faith in the Lord for all things. As it is written, the righteous man, that's any believer in Christ, shall live by faith, by placing his confidence in Jesus Christ for salvation. All right, now Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. Let's look at it, and then let's go back. This is is the... I wasn't finished lesson because I taught Romans 1, 18 to 32 last week, but I wasn't finished. There's more to tell you, amen? <laughs> All right, so let's start. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness of unbelievers who suppress the truth of the gospel in unrighteousness. So in verse 17, we've got the righteousness of God is revealed. In 18, we've got the wrath of God is revealed. And last week I asked, are you the target of God's wrath? So if you missed that lesson, you should listen to it. Romans 1.19. Because that which is known about God the Father is evident within unbelievers who practice ungodliness and unrighteousness. For God the Father makes the knowledge of God very plain to unbelievers. God lets unbelievers know that he exists from the inside, and he lets unbelievers know that he exists from the outside. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity, Jesus Christ is God, have been clearly seen by all mankind being understood through everything that has been made in the entire created universe so that all mankind, especially unbelievers who practice ungodliness and unrighteousness, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. Romans 1.21 For even though unbelievers knew God, they didn't honor him as God, nor did they give him thanks. Instead, they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Yeah, but what if? Yeah, but what if? Yeah, but you gotta. You gotta, you gotta. Romans 1.22. Professing to be wise, unbelievers became fools. 
Romans 1.23, and unbelievers exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for images to worship in the form of corruptible man, in the form of birds, in the form of four-footed animals, in the form of crawling creatures. And if you've never been to Asia, this won't make sense to you. Once you go over to Asia, you find people worshiping statues. If you have friends who are Catholics, they worship statues. There are places all around the world where they worship cows. India is one of those countries. This is going on today. Everywhere in the world, people are worshiping everything but God. Romans 1.24. Therefore, God the Father gave unbelievers over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, making their sins clearly visible. Romans 1.25. For unbelievers exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than worshiping and serving the Creator, the one who is blessed forever. Amen. Romans 1.26. For this reason the worship of created things rather than the creator. God gave them over. Those are chilling words. God gave them over. It's like what parents do with teenagers. Parents tell their teenagers, all right, on Friday night between 10 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., one-third of the drivers on the road are drunk. So it would be a good idea if you weren't out at that time. Oh, Dad, you just don't want me to have any fun. Oh, Mom, you're just trying to put me, hold me back. <laughs> and then you read in the paper the next day, five teenagers killed on uh, 60 at 11 p.m. by a drunk driver. Yep, your parents were trying to hold you back from dying. For this reason, the worship of created things rather than the creator, God gave them over. Don't ever, you never want your parents to give you over to shameful passions. For their women exchanged the natural sexual function with men for a sexual function which is unnatural, homosexuality. Everywhere you look on TV, we're being communicated with that homosexuality is normal just as normal as heterosexuality. It isn't. At least that's what God says. Romans 1.27. And in the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of sex with women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men, committing indecent sexual acts, homosexuality, and receiving in their own persons the compensation for their error, which is something that is visible to the eyes of all. Romans 1.28, and just as unbelievers did not see fit to acknowledge there is a God any longer, which is called atheism, God gave them over to a depraved mind, allowing them to practice those things which are not proper. Romans 1.29, and unbelievers became filled with all unrighteousness. What kind? Wickedness, greed, evil. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, Romans 1.30. They are slanderers, 
haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to their parents. Romans 131, they are without understanding, they're ignorant, they are untrustworthy, they are unloving, and they are unmerciful. Romans 132, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of the sentence of death, they, are not, they not only do these things, they also give hearty approval to others who practice the same things. They're great recruiters. In the last lesson, you were asked to consider if you're the target of God's wrath. If, you're, if you are not an unbeliever, the answer is no. If you're a believer in Christ, the answer is no. If you're an unbeliever, the answer is still no. Because God reserves his wrath for sin. God loves the sinner. He loves the unbeliever. And he hates sin. Unfortunately, because unbelievers reject a relationship with Jesus Christ and his work on the cross on their behalf, shedding his blood to pay for their sins, they are choosing to accept the wrath of God because they choose to pay for their own sins. Why would you do that? Somebody takes you to Baskin Robbins, and they say, I'm going to buy you whatever you want. And you say, yeah. Uh-oh, somebody's coughing. And you say, yeah, I want a strawberry shake, and I want uh, cookies and cream on a sugar cone, and I want a pint of pralines and cream to go home with me. And somebody steps up and pays for it. Why would you want to pay for it yourself? If the Lord is willing to pay for your sins, why would you want to pay for them yourself and experience the wrath of God? They want nothing to do with the gracious God who is offering them the free gift of salvation. So we learn that God the Father reserves his wrath for sin. When an unbeliever closes his eyes in this life, which all will, his sin is the target of God's wrath. As we will learn in Romans chapter 3, the Lord also reveals his righteousness to those who accept a relationship with him. Wrath or righteousness is your choice. There's only one intelligent choice. All right, so let's reflect on Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel of God the Father, for the gospel is the power of God the Father for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first chronologically and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God the Father is revealed. From faith in the Lord for salvation to faith in the Lord for everything else. As it is written, the righteous man, any believer in Christ, shall live by faith, placing his confidence in the Lord. In a polytheistic culture, which Rome was, polytheistic meaning many gods, poly is many, theos is God. They believed in many gods. They believed in the God of war. They believed in the God of love. They believed in the king of the gods. They believed in the God of the harvest. They had many gods. So in, a, in the polytheistic culture of Rome, most people believed the myth. 
that you merely pass into the underlife with no impending judgment. The stories about what happens in the afterlife didn't really sound so bad. They ignored the fact that there is an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God who is loving and just, who gives us a chance, but who will not compromise his integrity. Now you know what's meant by Satan blinding the mind of unbelievers. He keeps on fathering lies that there is no judgment. The Bible paints a different picture. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, The wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness of unbelievers who suppress the truth of the gospel in unrighteousness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10 says this, There is no creature hidden from the Lord's sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of the Lord with whom we have much to do. The mythology of the day in Rome promised a different fate. If there is no judgment, if there's no hell, as many religions and religious people want us to believe, some of whom you're related to, by the way, then there's no need to be saved. If there's no hell, there's no need to be saved. Amen? Amen. The infamous lie. Everyone is saved no matter what because a loving God would never be unfair enough to send one of his creatures to the lake of fire. That's false. That's a lie. But everybody wants to believe it. See, it's not God's will that any should perish in the lake of fire, but that all should come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with Christ. But if you reject that relationship, you're going to the lake of fire, and it's not because God wanted you to go, go there, it's because you chose it. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. That which is known about God the Father is evident within unbelievers who practice ungodliness and unrighteousness. For God the Father makes the knowledge of himself and the entire Godhead very plain to unbelievers. For since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood even through everything that has been made in the entire created universe, so that all mankind, especially unbelievers who practice ungodliness and unrighteousness, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. Well, what's the lie? Well, what if a person didn't know about Jesus? These verses say everyone on the planet knows, feels, and experiences the presence of God. Many ignore him, most reject him. The unbeliever speculates. Yeah, but what about the little baby who never heard of Jesus Christ? Yeah, but what about a child who dies three days after he is born? These are questions the unbeliever knows the answer to if he assumes that God is fair, because a fair God would never let a baby who had never heard the gospel message go to the lake of fire. That's a ridiculous thought. For those who are old enough to understand, there's no way not to know of the existence of God because God declares himself. God introduces himself to us from outside and from inside. Some of the most brilliantly intellectual people in the world get inside their own head and create speculations about God rather than getting to know him. How does God make us aware of himself from outside of us? 
He communicates through things that make us feel completely helpless. Earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes. Unbelievers say these things are caused by Mother Nature or the universe (laughs) as a way to ignore God. They credit supernatural phenomenon to a nameless, faceless entity. Nope, it's God, and they know it. Since God makes himself known to everyone, unbelievers stand indicted. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. For even though unbelievers knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give him thanks, which is ingratitude. Instead, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Romans 1.22, professing to be wise, unbelievers became fools. That's what the uh, high school second year is called, sophomores. They think they are wise, sophos, but they are fools, moros. Amen? We got any sophomores in the house? Raise your hand if you're a sophomore. Uh Uh-huh. Now you know. Now you know what you are. Now everybody knows. (laughs) Romans 1.23. And unbelievers exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for images to worship in the form of corruptible man, in the form of birds, in the form of four-footed animals, and in the form of crawling creatures. I just had a nice Facebook argument this morning with a person who has studied with a false teacher. And he worships that teacher. So much so that he doesn't study the Bible. He just takes everything that teacher says and that is the word. No, it isn't. That teacher is teaching his doctrines the precepts of men. There are even deductive ways to know that God exists. The world has a design. A design demands a designer. The conscience, that part of us that has the ability to know right and wrong, which we learn when we're two, infers that there is righteousness and evil. The Big Bang Theory is proposed as a way the universe came into existence. How did this theory come into existence, you'll get a kick out of this. This startling idea first appeared in scientific form in 1931 in a paper by Georges Lamachre, a Belgian cosmologist and Catholic priest. What a surprise that the Catholics would create a lie like this. The theory accepted by nearly all astronomers today was a radical departure from scientific orthodoxy in the 1930s. Beautiful. Isn't it funny how sexy lies are and how easily they are adopted and spread? Wouldn't it be great if the world found the gospel message to be as sexy as the Big Bang Theory? If the Big Bang Theory were true, though, who set off the Big Bang? Did it just happen? Or does somebody else set it off? I don't doubt that the creation of the universe, which the Lord spoke into existence, made some noise. And since angels were present to witness it, I don't doubt that the wily serpent, Satan, was thinking about how he would deceive the whole world about creation. 
Fortunately, we have God, the Holy Spirit, who's responsible for leading everyone to the truth. And the question is, are you listening? Because God makes us aware of himself from the inside, too, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet no one can imagine the work that God has done from the beginning even to the end. All mankind are intimately aware of God's presence. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 confirms it. Behold, I stand at the door of your soul and I keep on knocking. And if anyone hears my voice, maybe you will, maybe you won't. That's up to you. And opens the door by choice. I will rush in to dine with him and he with me. Whenever you go to In-N-Out Burger and you get a burger, just look at the bottom of the the bag and there are always Bible verses. And Revelation 3.20 is one of those Bible verses. Amen? Amen. See, y'all just went there trying to get the fries and eating it all. You ain't even looking at the paper. It's right on the bottom of the bag. Teaching you about God from the bottom of the bag. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. If you want to know God, he'll let you know him. He'll make himself clear to you, invisible to you, in ways that make sense to you. Matthew 7, 8. This is a promise from God. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Are you looking... For the God who reveals himself to you inside and out, most people aren't. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. No creature does good, not even one. Yet God wants you to know him. What do smart people think about God? Here's Bill Gates, the creator of Microsoft. He said, I'm not somebody who goes to church regularly. The specific elements of Christianity are not something I'm a huge believer in. What was he really saying? He's really saying he's a Roman Catholic, and he's been listening to false doctrine his whole life, and he doesn't believe it. He shouldn't. He shouldn't believe it. You shouldn't take his family and expose them to those lies. Or how about Warren Buffett, another billionaire? Warren Buffett says this, I am an agnostic. There's nothing worse in this world to be than an agnostic. What is an agnostic? It's somebody who believes that God can't be known and the mysteries of God can't be known. What a crock. I would never worship a God who I couldn't know. He says, I'm an agnostic. I don't know whether there's a God or not. Maybe when I die, I will find out, oh, yeah, you will. Oh, yeah, you will. You'll meet Jesus face-to-face at the great white throne judgment. But right now, I don't know. Brilliant and sad. Here are two people, billionaires, hard-working men who know everything about money and nothing about God. Speaking of money, when we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then... We'll continue hearing insights from our study of Romans chapter 1. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. 
told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rod to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody I'm Trying to tell everybody well, All about somebody Who saved my soul
Welcome back. As part of my prayers, I ask God the Holy Spirit to open your hearts with a spirit of generosity. Proverbs 19, verse 17 says this, The one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him for his good deed. May God the Holy Spirit give you a burning desire to serve those who are spiritually bankrupt. Your generosity is the means by which Barah Ministries can provide an accurate gospel message to be enjoyed free of charge all around the world. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Woo! Woo! Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon at Barah Ministries because at Barah Ministries, we know that we come to this world broken. We know that we're broken in many ways, and I like to think of acronyms to help myself remember and to, to acknowledge things in my life that I can help straighten out, and I came up with, you know, right now we have, when we're born, we have, we're physically broken, we're mentally broken, and we're spiritually broken. You think about it, everybody has a physical thing they, they want to correct or change or do something different. I, mean, I can't think of anything for myself, but, you know, there's always something. Mentally, I think we all have stuff, too, you know, whether it's fear, worry, anxiety. I know I worry about things sometimes, and I think my biggest thing is patience. I have to work on my patience, you know, especially in traffic. You just have to get in traffic, but... You know, there's there's a story of people on September 11th who missed the train, and because of that, they weren't on in the buildings. So God's always in control, and there's always a reason why we're waiting in traffic or, or held up, you know. And there's always a reason why we have things physically that are different and changes uh, that are different from other people. And, you know, when you think spiritually broken, we come, we come here broken, and we need Jesus. We need the message. But there's good news, and we see it in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in the spirit. Amen. So we're crushed in the spirit, but he saves us. And he's, he's near to us. So, you know, when you feel that way, you know you're closer to God. And so what can we do? You know, how can we, when we have those things, we rest in God's essence. And to know his essence, you have to know it. And how do you know it? By studying every day. And so the biggest thing is to get people to Barah Ministries and get them to the message of good news. Because in this world, it's a lost and dying world. There's a lot of bad news. But we're here to bring the good news and for, to help people remember that we don't have to rest on our own power. It's God's power. And we do that each week, and we thank you for supporting this ministry and our pastor. And thank you for bringing your beautiful and handsome family here so you can hear the message and always remember that God's on our side. And so is Pastor Rory. Thank you.
Welcome back. Today's Bible le uh, le le lesson, what is the Lord communicating to Christians in Romans chapter 1? Just remember what Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 are. They're an indictment of the whole human race. There are three chapters that let us know how bad we are. Because if we don't think we're bad, then we don't need to be saved. But we do need to be saved. All right, welcome back. We pick it up. What's the worst thing God does to people who choose a life of depravity and immorality? And that's what this passage, Romans 1, 18 to 32, is all about. It's about immorality and depravity. And it's introducing us to the fact that as believers in Christ or as unbelievers, we sin. We do. And we don't stop. But all those sins are paid for at the cross. The Lord paid for that, so we don't worry about it. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 28 say this, Therefore, God the Father gave unbelievers over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, making their sins clearly visible. Romans 1, 25. For unbelievers exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than worshipping and serving the Creator, the one who is the blessed one forever. Amen. See, it would be great if unbelievers would just reject the Lord and then not do anything else. But that's not what they do. They reject the Lord and they always go and worship something else. People, birds, animals, statues. Anything but God. Romans 1, 26. For this reason, the worship of created things rather than the, the worship of the Creator, God gave them over to shameful passions. For their women exchanged the natural sexual function with men for a sexual function which is unnatural. Homosexuality. Romans 1, 27. And in the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of sex with women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent sexual acts. That was rampant in Rome. And receiving in their own persons the compensation for their error, which is something that is visible to the eyes of all. Romans 1.28, And just as unbelievers didn't see fit to acknowledge there is a God any longer, which is atheism, God gave them over to a depraved mind, allowing them to practice those things which are not proper. Chilling words. God gave them over to their own lusts, to degrading passions, to a depraved mind. Immorality. Unbelievers want to believe that if they say something is okay, then it's okay. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat it. Unbelievers want to believe that if they say something is okay, then it's okay. But it's not. They have a complete disregard for what God has to say about the matter. And God has not ever, nor would he ever, endorse same-sex marriage. Never would. But our country does. And by the way, you might notice in this passage that it's not just zoomed in on homosexuality. There are actually 21 sins. 
But for believers in Christ, we don't pay attention to the sin issue because it's resolved. Christ paid for our sins at the cross. Now that he did, should we go out sinning all the time? No, it's just dumb. Nobody who's intelligent would want to do that. So unbelievers gravitate toward teachers that agree with them. It's called confirmation bias. You have a viewpoint, and you go and talk to only to people who agree with your viewpoint. I agree. I agree. I disagree. That's not life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 say this, For the time will come. And that time is now, and that time was before, and that time will be in the future. The time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. They'll reject teaching of the truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled, wanting people to tell them what they want to hear, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. That's what we do. Well, I like that pastor. I like him. He's a good speaker. Please don't like me. Please don't like me. I know you don't. That's what I love about my congregation. They don't like me all that much. But they love the word. They love the word of God. They love Jesus Christ because he is God. And they don't pay much attention to me because they know what I am. I'm a mouthpiece. That's it. So don't get all enamored with my personality. Oh, wow, he's so charismatic. Oh, wow, he's so handsome. Oh, wow, he's so... (laughs) Oh, wow, he's such a good speaker. The time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. 2 Timothy 4.4, and they will turn away their ears from the truth. And then what? Just, Just leave it alone? No. Then they'll turn aside to myths, either myths that somebody else is telling them or myths that they create in their own minds. Here's a list. That, that is first century Rome in a nutshell. They turned aside from the truth and turned to myths. Here's a list of famous atheists. Woody Allen, Kevin Bacon, Mel Brooks, Richard Burton, Clint Eastwood, Catherine Hepburn, Marilyn Monroe, Britney Spears, Linda Ronstadt, just to name a few. What is an atheist? It's someone who chooses to reject that there is a God, even though they know there is a God. It's someone who chooses to reject that there is a God, even though they know there is a God. Life is futile when you are estranged from God. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says this, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, we don't follow men. We don't follow men's opinions. We follow God. My job is to teach the Bible from God's perspective, not from my perspective. My opinion, and $3.40 will get you a cup of Starbucks coffee. My opinion is not important. God's opinion is important. Instead of worshiping God, Unbelievers worship sinning. What are the things they worship? 
Romans chapter 1, verses 29 to 31, here are the rest of the sins. Unbelievers became filled with all unrighteousness, such as wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, wanting what other people have, murder, killing people, strife, fighting, deceit, lying, malice, just being mean. They are gossips, always talking about everybody else. Can you believe that Romans 1.30, they are slanderers. What's a slanderer? It's somebody who berates you in public, like on Facebook. They are haters of God. They are insolent. They have a bad attitude. They are arrogant. They think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. They are boastful. They are smack talkers. That's what boastful is. They are inventors of evil, and they're disobedient to their parents. May all who are disobedient to their parents be struck down dead this moment. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Romans 1.31. They are without understanding. They're clueless, we would say. You always hear people say, I have no idea. I have no idea. They're without understanding. They're untrustworthy. You can't count on a thing they say. They're unloving, and they're unmerciful. The list of sins does not keep people from heaven. Your sins will not keep you from getting to heaven. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to repeat that. Your sins will not keep you from getting to heaven. Being estranged from God is what keeps you from heaven. Rejecting a relationship with Jesus Christ is what keeps you from heaven. Yet even in the face of all these sins, and let's face it, we keep committing sins after salvation, in the face of all these sins, the Lord still waits with open arms and welcomes anyone who's still breathing into a relationship with him. How would you like that? How would you like to have a friend who you go up to and you punch them in the face and they say, hey, thanks, I needed that. I love you. How would you have a friend who, how would you like having a friend and you reject the friend and say, I don't want anything to do with you. And the friend comes over to your house the next day and says, you were having a bad day yesterday, weren't you? You see, God always has his arms open, is always willing to welcome you with your lousy resume into his grace. Getting to heaven when you close your eyes in this life is as simple as a nine-word conversation with God the Father. This is the nine-word conversation of a thief who was hanging from a cross next to Jesus Christ who had committed a capital crime. He had stolen and he murdered somebody. Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43 say, A thief being crucified next to Jesus was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Nine words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Then he got off the cross and went and got baptized, right? No, when you're nailed to a cross, generally speaking, you're not getting off. 
Then he got off the cross and confessed his sins so he could be forgiven, right? Nope. What happened? At that moment, at that single moment in time, he had lived a life before that that was immoral, unholy, ungodly, and unrighteousness. And in a single moment of clarity, he said nine words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he was saved instantly. And he's one of the first people I'm going to look for when I get to heaven. And I'm going to smack him in his face and say, why'd you steal that stuff from that man, man? No, that's not what we're going to do in heaven. In heaven, we're going to just love being face-to-face with the Lord forever. The thief being crucified next to Jesus was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What was Jesus' response? Luke 23, 43, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. When God promises you something, it happens. Amen? A nine-word conversation with God can get you to heaven. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or a five-word conversation. Father, I believe in Christ. Or... I believe, help my unbelief. Another five-word conversation. Unbelievers say to God, I don't want to be with you in heaven. And God gives them a Burger King response. Okay, have it your way. You rule. (laughs) What is God teaching us in Romans chapter 1? You're a sinner. If you're an unbeliever, you need a savior. Your Savior has a free gift for you, eternal life. So you have two choices, heaven or the lake of fire. Whatever you choose, God accepts. It is our duty as Christians to make appeals to those we love and to those we don't love by presenting the accurate gospel message to them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 describes believers in Christ this way. Therefore, we believers in Christ are ambassadors for Christ. We represent our sovereign God in a foreign kingdom. That's what an ambassador does. As though God the Father were making an appeal through us to unbelievers, because he is. And we beg you, unbelievers, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In Romans chapter 2, we'll move from God's message to the uh, immoral to God's message to the moral legalist who thinks he's better than everyone else because the I, li- I like hanging out with immoral people a lot better than I like hanging out with legalists because people who are broken realize that they're broken and realize that they need something. And people who are legalists who think that God's plan and Christianity is all about the rules You can't get one thing across to them. They are so arrogant and so desiring to be superior that you can't get anything across to them. And that's a shame. So as we move to chapter 2, the legalists are looking at the immorality of the third passage of Romans 1 and saying, "Mm, mm, mm. ain't that awful? Isn't it just terrible that there are people like that? Thank God I'm not like that. Paul says, oh, wait, bro. We got something for you. 
So that's where we go next. And in addition, next week we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. The closing moments of this lesson could be the ten most important minutes of your life. You'll be introduced to the good news concerning how you can spend all eternity in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants for you is that you make the most important decision of your life. God gave you an amazing gift from the moment of birth. Volition. The ability to choose. You have the power of free will. The power of choice. You can make your own decisions. What do you choose to believe about God? There are many beliefs about God, opinions or convictions or confidence in the existence of something that doesn't seem provable. Yet everything with God is provable. There's no need for blind faith in God. He reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings, which means he reveals himself in ways that make sense to you. If he didn't, what kind of God would he be? What would make him worthy of our worship? Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this, Since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood through everything that has been made in the entire created universe. And we look at the stars, we look at the sun, we look at the moon, we see earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, and hurricanes. We see the beautiful mountains. We see oceans and rivers and streams. And we think, wow, I wonder who made that. God did. But the problem is Satan, the enemy of God, who prefers that we have beliefs. He knows that there's a big difference between beliefs and the truth. At Barah Ministries, we pursue truth through learning the word of God. So only when our beliefs and the truth are the same are our beliefs significant. Satan hates truth. Do you choose to believe Satan's lies or do you prefer to believe God's truth? The Bible is a manual provided by God as a strategy for your life. And when we live under the suggestions of God's word, we have a high-impact life. When we listen to Satan and his false teachers, we struggle. Many people believe they can impress God so much that he will let them into heaven because of their good deeds and religious practices. They give money to beggars. They give food to the homeless. They give back to the community. And while admirable, none of these deeds are good enough to get you into heaven according to Titus chapter 3, verse 5, which says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved believers in Christ not based on deeds we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, not giving the wrath of God that sins deserve. By the washing of regeneration, we are born again and through renewing by God the Holy Spirit. The Bible directs all mankind to let God do the saving. You would never want to put the burden of your salvation on your own back. Your good deeds will not get you into heaven. God's plan can get you to heaven. The one way, the only way to get to heaven is through placing your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. 
In his gospel, John said 98 times when asked how to get to heaven, believe. 98 times, believe. But what else? What else is believe? What does that mean? Take God's word for it. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. There's only one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. I can't say. The Apostle Paul describes the amazing Jewish Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Why didn't the Pharisees pay attention? When you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is God, when you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, these are much more than beliefs. This is the absolute truth. So how do you get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, which is what made Jesus different from everybody else, because nobody else has ever been raised from the dead except Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Romans 10.10, for what the heart a person believes resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven. If you're a believer in Christ, you have plus R stenciled to your forehead, and that is your admission ticket to heaven. And with the mouth, a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone resulting in salvation. It's wise to let God save you because once God does something, he is immutable. He never changes. And once God does something, it cannot be undone by you or by anybody else because God never changes his mind. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ has consequences, though. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 42 say this. So just as weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, will send forth his elect angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, that's unbelievers, and those who commit lawlessness, that's unbelievers. Matthew 13, 42, and the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire. And in that place, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know what that is, weeping and gnashing of teeth? You know what weeping is, crying. <laughs> you know what gnashing of teeth is? Oh! Oh, man! I heard that gospel message a thousand times and I didn't believe. Oh! Yes, there is a hell. And if you end up there, it will have been because of your choice. 
it is not God's will that you spend eternity in the lake of fire. So make the most important choice of your life. Do what's suggested in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved by God, not by yourself. You and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 17. God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord, who took on human form as Jesus the Christ, into the world to judge the world. But God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved through believing in him. Take the free gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. God wants you. Why bother working for your salvation with good deeds when it's a free gift? Let the Lord Jesus Christ work on the cross, give back to you. Well, let's close with music. Let's face it, we're not used to being loved. Let me repeat that, because I don't think you heard me. We're not used to being loved. When someone loves us like we want to be loved, we can't even see it most of the time. Instead, we gravitate to those who despise us, and work as hard as we can to get them to like us, and they don't. They won't. So is it any wonder why we have such a hard time understanding a God who loves us unconditionally in spite of our many imperfections? Christians, we have to change our thinking. We have to be willing to be loved as God loves us. We have to be willing to see ourselves as God sees us. And when God sees believers in Christ, he sees perfection. He sees righteousness. God the Father looks at you as a believer in Christ the same way he looks at his son. He sees perfection. We have to be willing to be loved as God loves us because when Lenny LeBlanc talks about our God in songs, he says, there is none like you. There is none like you No one else can touch my heart like you do I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you There is none like Search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Your mercy flows like a river wide, and healing comes from. 
That's why we worship him, because there is none like Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for your generosity and patience towards your creatures. Teach us how to love you, how to love ourselves, and how to love others, especially unbelievers, so much that we tell them all about your Son and what he's willing to do for them. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. All right, right after this, we'll discuss the lesson and we'll have prayer circle. Join us live or on Zoom immediately following the lesson. I'll answer any questions you have about the lesson or anything else in Christianity. If you've got biblical questions, you can always feel free to write. Ask the pastor, pastor at baradministries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God daily. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.